0: There's a baseball icon that you may have heard about if you're as big of a baseball fan and history buff as I am. His name was Bobby Bragan and lived in Fort Worth for many years after his retirement. On uh, August 16, 2005, Bobby Bragan came out of retirement to manage the Independent Cactus League Fort Worth Cats there in Fort Worth, and he managed them for one game, making him at 87 years old in nine months and 16 days, the oldest manager in professional baseball history. He beat a guy by the name of Connie Mack, the former manager and part owner of the Philadelphia Athletics. Beat him by one week, older than him by one week. When he came back and Bobby Reagan was really a character and he was one of these guys that was always known for arguing with the umpires. Loved to bait the umpires. He was very much an innovator in baseball as well. And so during this comeback at age 87 plus, he um, also became the oldest person to ever be ejected from a baseball game when he had a staged argument with the umpire in the third inning. And he crowd gave him a roaring ovation and uh, then mercilessly booed those umpires that threw him out. And uh, he took a seat up in the stands and watched the Cats uh, win an 11 to 10 victory uh, with some of his fans up there. That previous August, he uh, had handed out baseball cards at a a youth foundation that he had. And uh, his card that he handed out had the poem on one side, the cross in my pocket and on the other side was contact information uh, for the Bragan Youth Foundation and it included this quote ask me and I'll tell you how to get to heaven and between the lines Bobby Bragan liked to scrawl in his own handwriting these words obey God and leave all the consequences to him Good wisdom, good man, known most for baseball, but he used his lot in life, how God had designed him to bring glory to God. And that's what God requires of each of us. I like that quote, Obey God and leave the consequences to Him. We need to remember as Christians that we are citizens of two kingdoms, a kingdom here on, here on earth It's our temporary home, but more importantly, a kingdom in heaven. The kingdom that's here on earth, it can pass laws, but it cannot change hearts. God's kingdom, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can change a person's heart, can change my heart. And hopefully, through my witness, God can change someone else's heart. That should be our prayer. That should be our desire, that through us, may God be glorified and change the hearts and lives of other people. You know you may run into some people who could tell you I, well, I don't need Jesus I, I don't need my heart changed you know sure I've got my faults but I'm not really a bad person and perhaps you've come across people already who feel that way but you might understand that if someone feels that way about themselves it's because they haven't looked close enough in the mirror Spiritually speaking. If you're alive, then you need your heart changed and renewed by God. The reason for that is not any particular fault with any particular person. It's a fault that we all have. And it's a fault within us called sin. Deep within each one of us, there is a sinful nature. It means that having a sinful nature means that we have an inclination to to do our own thing to drift away from god and to drift toward that which is evil our sinful nature causes us to act out in ways that the word of god calls sin and you see this sinful nature in the smallest of children you never have to teach a child to disobey they instinctively know to do their own thing even if it might sometimes get them in trouble And so there's that nature that's within each one of us. Unfortunately, our popular culture glorifies sinful nature and the sinful acts that come from it. And by doing that, by glorifying sin and calling what is what Scripture calls wrong, our culture calls it right, and glorifies it and magnifies it and wants everyone to act in that kind of way, by doing that, our culture unwittingly displays the need for a personal spiritual change. Our culture's preoccupation with depravity is a witness to the fact that we all need our hearts changed. They do that unwittingly, unknowingly, but they end up doing exactly what Scripture also says that every person needs their heart changed. Every person needs a renewed heart. Popular culture tells you to resist authority, to demand respect. Popular culture says don't trust anyone but yourself. And at the center of everything popular culture says is a common factor, it's you. You are the center of everything that popular culture says to do. And that's why, that's exactly why the message of Jesus is so radical because his way is the exact opposite. Jesus said that instead of resisting authority, submit to authority. Instead of demanding respect, Jesus humbled himself. No one deserved more respect than Jesus, and yet he humbled himself to the point of a servant even to die and death on a cross for that matter. Instead of trusting no one, Jesus trusted his heavenly Father and told us to trust his heavenly Father as well. And that's the key difference between God's way and the world's way. At the center of the world's way is you. But at the center of the way of Jesus is God. And you have to decide which direction you're going to point your life. After three three decades after Jesus uh, rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, his most famous follower at that time, Peter, picked up on these qualities that are necessary to be God's people and to live out a Christian witness. As such, Peter believed that God's people could only flourish when submission, humility, and trust were integrated into their lives. And I believe it's true. And so I want us today to turn to the first book that Peter wrote, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. And we're going to read three very simple verses verses 5 through 7. These verses really need no explanation. But if we study them carefully, we can benefit ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, let's see what Peter says. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. The first thing that Peter says that God's people need to be known for is submission. Submission. If a husband says to his wife, you need to submit, there might be a fight later. If a pastor tells a church you need to submit, there might be a business meeting later. If a boss tells an employee they need to submit, there might be someone looking for a new job later. If a policeman tells someone in society that they've pulled over, that they need to submit, there might be a lawsuit later. Why? Why? There's something about submission that we rebel against. The problem is not the submission. The problem is the rebellion in the heart. There's something within us that resists the idea of submission. This verse in verse 5, it says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. That's good advice all the way around. Children should be submissive to those that are older. But specifically, this is talking about within the church. This verse specifically addresses young people in the church because pastors in the first century were older and because young people have the tendency to be most, the most rebellious of any age group. If you look back at the uh, previous verses... Peter instructs those that are elders, those that are pastors, to shepherd the flock of God. And so the whole context here is within the church. And he says, young men in the church, submit to the elders of the church. Now, why is it that he specifically addresses young men? Like I said, young people have a tendency more than others to be more rebellious. And it's not a knock against young people. It's just if you watch the news tonight... Uh, it's very likely that you will not see many elderly people rioting in the streets. Uh, You will not see a lot of uh, elderly people looting. You won't find a whole lot of elderly people committing crimes. Why not? Well, the energy level of life may have something to do with it. But I also think that as we grow older, we have a tendency to acquire more wisdom and know how life should be lived. Not always, though. I I do remember hearing one time Rabbi uh, Daniel Lappin, my favorite rabbi, at a Bible study say, some men remain adolescents well into their 40s and beyond. And so people don't always grow up. I know that's not true of you, but uh, one sign of a truly mature Christian is that he or she knows to submit to the pastors of the church. In Hebrews 13, verse 17 scripture says obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you and so if we're going to be the spiritual family that God wants us to be we have to have an attitude of submission secondly we need to stay humble we need to submit but we also need to personally stay humble hum- humility before God We've got to be humble toward one another and humble toward God. Verse 5 continues. It says, And all of you, regardless of age, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves toward, uh, with humility toward one another. Let me ask you a question. Who's the greatest person who's ever lived? And it's the proper answer that you're thinking of in church. It's Jesus. Right? No one greater than Him who ever lived. You can even find non-Christians who would agree with that. That Jesus certainly was the greatest man who ever lived. If there's any man who had every right to not be humble, had every right to be proud certainly it would be Jesus but did he do that no the what made Jesus so incredibly wonderful be, beyond the fact that he's obviously god and man but he set an example for us in John chapter 13 in verse 3 we read Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from god and was going back to god got up from supper he laid aside his garments And taking a towel, he girded himself. He wrapped himself in this towel. It says in verse 5 of John 13, Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, the same man who's instructing us today. He came to Simon Peter. He said to the Lord, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed, Needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one he was who was betraying him, for this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. Verse 12 says, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so i am if i then the lord and the teacher wash your feet you ought to wash one another's feet for i gave you an example that you should do as i did to you truly truly i say to you a slave is not greater than his master nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him if you know these things you're blessed if you do them Jesus washed his disciples' feet. If you and I, if if we were in that room today, we would have had the privilege, uh, that day, we would have had the privilege of the Lord of all the universe, the creator of everything that exists, kneeling before us in human form, washing our feet. Why is Jesus the greatest man who ever lived? That's why. It was humility. Because he was more humble than anyone who ever lived. We have to be humble toward one another. We have to be humble toward God. Verse 6 in 1 Peter 5 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Peter was writing to people in Rome who were suffering. They were getting ready to suffer under the hand of Nero, and Peter knew it. They were already suffering to a degree, and he said, Submit to authority. Submit to your church leaders. Stay humble toward God and toward one another. I think Peter was telling them that through this time of suffering that you're going through, let it bring you low. Allow it to bring you low and humble before God. And then, at the proper time, God will exalt you. You see, there is no room for pride in our lives. Pride is, as C.S. Lewis said, the great sin. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote these words. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness and all of that are more flea bites in comparison. It was though pride it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-god state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began it's pride in first john chapter 2 john himself lists three essential roots of sin every sin that you can commit is one of these three it's the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes but at the heart of it all is the boastful pride of life the boastful pride of life peter tells us submit to one another submit to church leaders especially Peter tells us, stay humble before God. Stay humble before one another. Humble yourselves. No room for pride. And third, Peter tells us to keep trusting God. Are you going through a hard time in your life? Are you going through a degree of suffering? Maybe it's caused by the simple fact that you're a Christian, you're being mistreated at work, or you've been mistreated elsewhere because of your faith in Christ. Or maybe it's just the suffering that's common to mankind through sickness or disease or financial problems or loss of a job or whatever it might be. Suffering comes to us from time to time. Peter says to you, keep trusting God. He said to the people there in Rome who were getting ready to be impaled on uh, stakes and lit a, a fire to light the streets of Rome. He said to them, keep trusting God. And if these, our spiritual forefathers, could go through that, continually trusting God, certainly we can go through these little piccadillos that we have. Little problems. Keep trusting God. Peter says it this way in verse 7, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Some people tell you that it's wrong to have anxiety And perhaps it is. Peter says, I know you have anxiety. Here's how you deal with it. Cast it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Will Rogers once said that he knows that worrying about things works. Because whatever he worries about never happens. Whatever you're worried about, whatever causes you anxiety in your heart. Peter says, cast it on him. Why? Because he cares for you. In Mark chapter 4, in verse 35, there's another great story. It says, on that day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side of the sea meaning the the sea of Galilee it's 13 miles at its longest and 9 miles wide at its widest let's get on in a boat let's go to the other side leaving the crowd they took him along with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him and there arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so that so much that the boat was already filling up Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? God, don't you care about me? Have you ever prayed that? God, if you cared about me, you would deal with this? Don't you care? We're about to die. They asked. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? do you still have no faith what do we do when we're anxious call out to God give it over to him let the Lord deal with it here's the great thing about that story beyond the obvious I mean I would have loved to have personally seen Jesus stand up and speak to wind people don't speak to wind that often On a day like today, we might be tempted to speak to the wind with it gusting at 50 miles an hour. But people don't typically speak to wind. People don't look at the roaring seas that are foaming all around them and pouring into the boat and tell the sea to hush. Be still. What a fantastic scene that must have been. And Jesus said, he said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith the best thing about that story is the next verse they became very much afraid and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him they were scared before but when Jesus told the wind and the waves to stop it and the wind and the waves did That's when they got really scared. The object that scared them was no longer the wind and the waves. It was God. And that's the way it should be. We should have a healthy fear of the one who cares for us, who loves us. God, don't you care that we're about to die? Jesus says, yeah, I care i can fix it cast your cares on me but have faith keep trusting me i've heard people say that god is the one who causes disasters natural disasters but i want to i want you to consider another possibility some theologians they believe that when jesus was in that boat the devil sent the storm in in order to kill jesus Now, that's not explicitly in the text, but some theologians have surmised that. And just as Jesus was in other situations where He uh, rebuked demonic forces, here He rebuked the storm. Could it be that sometimes when there's natural disasters and people are quick to blame God for them, that it may be an act of a different spiritual force? And could it be that the storms in your life that you face maybe they're not caused by God but rather Jesus is able to say on your behalf peace be still it could be that he says to us why are you so afraid why are you worried have I ever failed you have I ever failed to provide for you Have I ever failed to love you? Have I ever failed to care for you? We may not be able to see God's love and God's care and His provision at every moment in our lives. We may not be able to see it because the storms around us are so fierce, all we see is the trouble. But don't you know in the depths of your heart, God keeps His promises. He does love you. He does care for you. He will provide for you. Always. Forever and always. Because that is the nature of God. The nature of you needs to be one of trust in Him.